Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is the chair of the Democratic Party of Lane County and a member of the board for Willamette Lane, Chris Wig. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Patty. It's good to be back. Yeah, so I wanted to bring you on because I don't know if there's anybody in our community that is better suited to talk about the full spectrum of what's happening in a special election. Uh, as the chair of the Democratic Party, you have your hand in everything. I have no idea how you are able to know about every little area of, of what's going on. I'm impressed. So I thought I would ask you to do this and I appreciate you doing this early in the morning. I'm sure you're busy. And so, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's get into it in a special election. The election is on May 18th. There's not going to be a voter's pamphlet mailed out. And so it's really, really vital for these kind of shows and Facebook posts and that kind of stuff to get the names of candidates out and their platforms. And so that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit. Okay. Yeah, there, there is no voters pamphlet and that, um, you know, that's very unfortunate. Uh, we, we could have had a voters pamphlet that the county commissioners, it's not that they decided to go in a different direction. It's that they didn't really think it was important or did not act like they thought it was important. And so we don't have a voters pamphlet now. Um, my hope is that they'll pass an ordinance that is directing in all future special elections to the county should produce a voters pamphlet. There's literally no valid argument of why we don't have one other than people just straight up drop the ball. Is there anything but that in mind, you know, without a voters pamphlet, which is the most important voter resource that exists, candidates are going more out of their way than ever before to get information out about their campaigns. And so for folks who want to learn about the candidates on their ballot, I recommend you can look at the Lane County Elections website. And there, if you click on the thing that says May 18th, 2021 special election, you click on that and it will list out all of the people who are running for every office in Lane County. And if you click on their name, it'll show a PDF of their filing form. And a lot of their contact information is uh, like redacted, but their email addresses are not. And so the, the information on the form itself is pretty useless. Um, but if you email these candidates, um, if they're doing their job, they'll email you back and that they'll set up a time to call. And so honestly, the best way for a voter to get information about the candidates is to go straight to the source and ask the candidate themselves, whether it's via email, whether it's by Facebook, um, whether it's because you know the candidate or you know somebody who knows them. Um, it's very, very word of mouth. Um, yeah. And then, you know, pay attention to your Facebook ads and your mail because a lot of information is going to come out uh, with, you know, postcards and letters from candidates and you right. know, grassroots volunteers and, you know, pick up the phone if you see a number that you don't recognize because that could be somebody asking for your vote. Right. You know, that the resources on the Lane County Elections website are useful to see, like you said, the candidates. I think that there, you know, may hopefully long term, uh, a voter's pamphlet could be available online. And if it's not, maybe I'll make one. <laughs> you know, maybe I can do it for the on my website, you know, because I just feel like something packaged where people can look at it. Now, I would imagine the older voters and every time I voted, I've used the paper uh voters pamphlet. So that's a, it's, it's kind of disappointing. It's not this time. And I understand, you know, I mean, it costs money and all that good stuff. So the, the money wasn't the problem. Yeah. What do you think it is? Why do you think that it's just something that people just, just don't get around to doing? They, they didn't do it. And that there's no, I mean, there's no excuse. I've talked to them about it at length. 
Um, I don't want to get into recounting sure. a conversation I have with somebody else, but it's, I mean, I will say that as the chair of the Democratic Party is the single most disappointing thing that any Democratic majority has done in the seven years that I have served as party chair. And so I'm not willing to make an excuse about it, and I'm not willing to look the other way. Yeah. And that we will see going forward that it will be a better, it'll be better in the future. Yeah. One other resource, though, that I would put onto people's radar, and I would not go so far as to call this a voter's pamphlet, because it does not include um, all of the candidates, and it's not you know, published by the government, but the Democratic Party of Lane County website, dplc.org, has candidate information that is submitted to us, um, the DPLC, from candidates who ask for our endorsement. And so um, in all, so far, all of the candidates who requested our endorsement and, you know, our Democrats have earned that endorsement. And so anybody who cared enough to ask us to endorse them is listed on the DPLC website with a, you know, many of them have their picture and then a statement of up to 500 words. Right. And like you said, Facebook is always a really, that's one of the most useful tools for that. Cause you can really see the pulse of what people are, are talking about. So let's talk about some of the races in Eugene for the school board in position two. Uh, Laurel O'Rourke. I talked to Maya Rabasa, who's also running in position six. She's running unopposed because her opponent had dropped out. Laurel O'Rourke has an opponent, but her original, one of her original opponents was the incumbent, uh, and she had backed out to endorse Laurel O'Rourke. Can you talk on that and why that's so substantial? Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, Anne-Marie served multiple, Anne-Marie Levis uh, served multiple terms on the school board. Um, she would have certainly won if she would have ran through that race. But in the process of getting to know at that time, her opponent, Laurel O'Rourke, that Laurel convinced her. Laurel convinced her to believe in her candidacy. And so Anne-Marie stepped aside and that it is a big deal anytime an incumbent, an incumbent office holder steps aside, especially for a member of a historically marginalized community. Um, you know, Laurel O'Rourke is black. And so that's a big deal because the school board does not have any black representation and that the inequities that we see in the educational system that are magnified for members of the black community. And so th this is a really, really big deal. And then at the very last minute, another person filed to run in that seat. Uh, that person is not a Democrat, so I don't feel any uh, reluctance to share with the group that this is a person who I'm in another group with this person and that they are a stone cold, straight up NIMBY, hard to the max. Yeah. And, and if that, anybody's unfamiliar, NIMBY is not in my backyard, right? Yeah. So. The people who don't want renters and lower income people to live in their neighborhood. Wow. And so I, this guy was in a, in a group I was in, was sharing Paul Conti's website non-ironically, like this is a valuable resource and that's nuts. So do not vote for that person. Please, for the love of God, if you live in Eugene, vote for Laurel O'Rourke. Right. She's the one. And not only is the opponent troublesome, Laurel O'Rourke is a rock star. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's the reason really that somebody would step down, somebody that's an incumbent would step down. And I, I kind of wish I would have been a, ahead of that to get her on the show if possible. But it's just something that that we want to drill home. She's a great candidate, and I actually my 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 partner Dana, she knows her and and has worked with her somehow, and she was like, oh my gosh, when I mentioned the name, she's like, she's running, she's amazing. That's all she said. So, mm -hmm. so and you can find out more again on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Now I mentioned Maya Rabasa. She was then we're talking about Eugene here. Uh, Maya Rabasa uh, was on my show. She was actually my last guest, my last episode. So anyone can listen to that. She's lovely. She is just she's got a long track record in uh work with the school board and i just was really pleased with uh the type of conversation we had because it was she was very connected and felt very easy to talk to and approachable and that's something that the more the more and more that i've got involved with this including yourself the people in our community that are that are working behind the scenes and putting themselves out there are really approachable. I can't, I can't stress that enough. It's been really cool. Sean Van Gordon, Mayor Sean Van Gordon from Springfield, him and I chat about sports video games and just, it's fun. And it just makes me feel so much pride in my community when, when I can have real, just fun conversations with, with elected officials. So it's cool. Uh, yeah, you knew that Maya used to be my neighbor when yeah. I lived in Eugene before I moved to Springfield. She used to live right around the corner from me. 
Yeah. And, and when, when I interviewed her, it was really cool because her backdrop was probably the best I've seen <laughs> the way that she shot it with, with her window and stuff. It was, it was really awesome. So uh, there is a contested seat that I wanted to talk about uh, in position three, uh, Tom DiLiberto and Judy Newman. Uh, so let's talk on that. They've both received the endorsement from the DPLC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so explain to me how that happens when, there's two Democrats running. Is that the only two people running in that race, first of all? Yes. Okay. So there's two Democrats running. Now, are these are essentially supposed to be nonpartisan seats. Is that correct also? I mean, technically, but, you know, there may be a nonpartisan office, but I don't believe that there is such a thing as a nonpartisan office holder. There's probably not a nonpartisan human being. But, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, so uh, let's talk about the two candidates and why they differ and whatnot. You know, we'll start with Tom. De, de Liberto. Well, you know, I would start by saying I think that they are both more similar than they are different, um, and that they are both very strong candidates. If he was not running against an incumbent, I would think that Tom Liberto would almost certainly win. Um, against an incumbent, I think it's 50-50, uh, maybe 60-40 for the incumbent. Um, you know, I think that both Tom DiLiberto and Judy Newman have strong ties to the community, um, that they have mobilized different kind of sectors of the Democratic coalition and the, you know, coalition of concerned folks around the issues in the 4J school district. And so I, you know, I think that they're both strong candidates and that the, I mean, citizens and residents of Eugene will be well served regardless of who wins. Both of them will serve, uh, I think, very capably um, if they're able to win. And so, you know, Tom is a retired Spanish teacher um, that he was beloved by students. And since he um, retired from the district has been, I think he's been teaching in the College of Education at UO um, and that he is supported by Um, He's supported by the teachers union. He's supported by the um, group of concerned parents that were, um, they've organized around testing is their main issue. But, um, you know, previous candidates that they have put forward in past elections are uh, Jerry Rosiek four years ago, Maya four years ago, Maya Rabasa, um, Gordon Lafer two years ago, who was unopposed. um, And that they supported Martina against Jim Torrey as well. And so, you know, that, there's a, a certainly like a constituency there that is very active. And, um, you know, I met with Tom and I wanted to, cause you know, I also think that Judy Newman is doing a really good job on the school board. And so I went into that conversation thinking that, you know, maybe as the party chair, I, that it would be wiser to, you know, encourage a new candidate to run for an open seat instead of against the incumbent. Um, because that's what happened with Maya two years or four years ago, is that she, instead of running for the open seat, she ran against Amory Levis and lost. And, you know, now I think that she's going to be a great school board member. And so maybe we lost out on somebody who would have been a great member because they chose a harder path to get there. But in talking to Tom, like he really convinced me um, that he has a very deep understanding of the issues um, as a classroom teacher, what are the pressures that you know, not only teachers, but the students themselves feel? Um, so he, I mean, he will be a great asset to the district if he is to win. Now, On the you, other hand, ahead, you know, Judy Newman will also be a, continue to be a great asset to the district like she is right now. That Judy Newman is one of the most um, accomplished and preeminent uh educators in the realm of early childhood education in the state of Oregon, that she knows more about that, about how to, um, you know, how to get kids into school um, at a young age, and then if necessary, how to help them to overcome, you know, learning and skills deficits, Um, that, that that is her jam, that she started the organization, Early Childhood Cares, in our community that works on those issues. And so, you know, it's a, it's a really tough, race. And I know that a lot of Demo- well, there are a lot of Democrats who are, you know, definitely on one side and definitely on the other, but there's also a lot of Democrats who feel very, um, you know, very conflicted and that they don't know who they're going to vote for. I'll tell you, you know, honestly, if I lived in Eugene right now, I would, I would have to do my research. I don't know who I would vote for yeah. because those are two really good candidates that are running. And so, you know, ultimately that's what we want. 
is as, as a community and as a society is that we want to have when we have contested races good candidates running against each other you know iron sharpens iron and so that that way that whoever wins is going to be in a good position to serve and not when we get in these positions like maybe some of the other races we're going to talk about where you know if our candidate doesn't win that we could be in a really tough situation right now you had mentioned Jim Tory, and I want to talk about this because my audience might be unfamiliar because I'm so new to this. I know a lot of people that listen are as well. Jim Tory had lost a seat for the for the school board mm-hmm. and then was appointed. And I've read some stuff. I read something this morning, and I don't want to put this on Judy Newman. I want to have this very nuanced when we talk about this. But the endorse it was an endorsement from Kitty Piercy where it said that the reason they were endorsing Tom DeLiberto was because they felt like it was Judy Newman that appointed him. Is that a fair criticism? I mean, I think how, who makes the decision to, wouldn't it be a full board? Yeah. So yes, it is. It is a fair criticism because Judy did vote to appoint Jim Tory. Now she's not the only one who voted. She's the only one on the ballot this year who took that vote. Okay. That makes sense. So, and part of it, you know, it goes back even further, right? Like, so Jim Tory was the mayor of Eugene and he was a Republican and like, uh, you know, a relatively moderate Republican, I guess. I, I think people from Eugene might push back against that. Sure. But I think that in the scope of, of like the scope of like what the Republicans are like now, like Jim Tory is pretty moderate. He's like a business type Republican and that he uh, ran for state representative the year that Nancy Nathanson was elected. Um, so he, Jim Tory was mayor for, for eight years. He retired. The mayoral primary that year was Kitty Piercy versus Nancy Nathanson. Talk about iron sharpening iron. That that's that's a heavyweight matchup right there, and that Kitty Piercy won that race in 2004, 2006. Nancy Nathanson went to the House, and that Jim Tory ran against Nancy Nathanson. But that is a very solidly Democratic district, and so you know Nancy Nathanson obviously beat Jim Tory. Um, she wins that race ten times out of ten, and so in 2008, Jim Tory challenged Kitty Piercy for mayor, and that that was a million dollar race. That was a huge oh, wow. race and that that was probably the like the most important inflection point that put Eugene onto the trajectory that it is on now, um, which, you know, I I live in Springfield now, so I, I get to dunk on Eugene a lot. But like really like Eugene is for the most part committed to like a pragmatic approach towards progressive policy and that the moment that that was decided was in that election. So Jim Tory. You know, and when he was mayor, he did some some kind of shady stuff. He was a investor in Trillium Community Health Plan. So when they sold out to that, um, the word on the street is that when they sold out to the Centene Health Insurance National Corporation that's in St. Louis, that's why our OHP with Trillium is so messed up, and why Pacific Source is now in our market to kind of sort that out. That he made a bundle of money on that, so like a little bit shady there, and then. He ran for the school board and, you know, that I think by all accounts, um, you know, other than the most partisan approach, like he was a pretty moderate school board member that he did a relatively um, good job, that he was instrumental in campaigning for the bonds. I mean, to be fair to him, like he was instrumental in campaigning to the bonds and to bringing the business community along in support of 4J initiatives. Yeah. And however. He's still Jim Tory. And so in 2015, 15, 2015, uh, no one would run against Jim Tory. And so Kevin Cronin was his opponent in the election. And Kevin did pretty good, you know, for being, uh, you know, in his mid 20s, um, just out of college, um, that he put his name out there and that he got way more support than we ever thought that he would get going into it. Um, they do, I mean, that was one of the funnest campaigns that we've ever done. And so then, Two years ago, Martina Shabram ran against Jim Tory, and that that was a very um, tough and close race, but Martina won. And that she won because more voters in Eugene wanted her to be on the school board than Jim Tory. And after that, what transpired was um, uh, Evangelina Sungrens, who's a good friend of mine and is a, was a member of the board, that she had to move out of our community for either her or her husband's work commitment. Um, and so she moved out of our community. So there was a vacancy and several people applied to the vacancy, but the most serious candidates were Maya Rabasa 
and Jim Torrey and the board, um, they messed up for lack of a better term. Usually I don't use the word messed when I am describing this situation, but that they made the wrong choice and that they went with what they knew and what was familiar to them because they, and that they'll, I mean, if you talk to the board members now, they will acknowledge that, that like we messed up, we had the opportunity to listen to what the community said to us during the election and we didn't do it. And I tell that whole long story to get to this point, which is I think the most important point, which is during that appointment that there were some people who are my own friends who you know provided feedback and comment to the board that was, you know, don't let the election results, because these are people who wanted Jim Tory to be back on the board, don't allow the election results to weigh too heavily on your decision. And that that there is, you know, out there with these, especially with these nonpartisan seats, right? Like there's this idea that it's, you know, it's just volunteering that we shouldn't be too, I mean, we shouldn't be too political, right? But like that there's no politics about it that, you know, we should, that basically that there's like some kind of enlightened dictatorship or oligarchy of, you know, that these are the people who know the best and that I cannot push back against that idea fiercely enough that the fact of the matter is the thing that gives the Eugene 4J school board and the Springfield school board and the Willamette Lane Park and Recreation District and every single one of these jurisdictions, the ability to raise taxes and spend taxpayer money, the thing that gives them the legitimacy to do that is the fact that they have elections and that the people vote. And that if you are to discount those election results in any way, like I, that, that is folly to me. And that it's amazing to me how people downplay the importance of like your school board and your park board. Like these are the seats that are the closest to the people. And that I will share with you, like one secret of local elected officials is that we are starved for feedback. So if there's a problem with the park and you email me, like I'm on it because I care about your feedback. Like I want you, I mean, I want you to vote for me, of course, but also I want to know how I'm doing. Am I doing a good job? And that, you know, I I think I'm doing a good job, but I don't know that without getting that feedback from people. And so, you know, if, if there's something at the park you don't like, you email me about it and I'll get on it. And that the best local office holders, um, are the people who will get back to you. People like, you know, Sonia Carlson at eWeb is the, like the best constituent response of any elected official maybe that I've ever met. Like she's on it. And it's like, those are the people who care and that we want people who care in that, you know, gatekeeper authorizer function over taxpayer money. Like yeah. that's what we want is the people who actually care enough to go to the meetings and read the packet and like know what's up. Yeah, and the school board right now is, is- probably more important than we've ever seen because of, you know, COVID with everything going on with COVID and the decisions that are going to be being made. And then the direction on how we're going to do, you know, like on, on my podcast last weekend, we talked about uh, Kendrick Lamar, you know, and in, in North Eugene, how the Kendrick Lamar's uh, hip hop lyrics were going to be taught in curriculum and that was pulled. So there's this, there's this direction that we're going to be going. And I think the school board's going to be making some really, really, really important decisions moving forward. So I think it's really important. We have a lot of stuff to talk about, so we, we do need to move on. I just wanted to mention that, that with Jim Torrey, that, you know, some of the things that I've read and obviously there's campaigning going on. So you're going to see people that are campaigning for somebody by making it, um, you know, an issue and there's accountability by choices made. So when you're on the board, when you're actually are an elected official, then you are going to be more, uh, public with decisions that you make that have repercussions with from to the voters, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how that race plays out between Tom DiLiberto and Judy Newman. Uh, I want to, before we move on to the LCC board, I want to talk about Holly Johnson. I want to talk just briefly about Springfield. I did talk to the, to the candidates that I'm endorsing, uh, Anthony Reed and Kelly Mason at length. And so anybody listening to this can go back and listen to those episodes. I think, uh, they are both, so different that working together on the board for Springfield would be awesome. I think Anthony brings a lot to the table. There's also another Democrat running in that race as well. Is that correct? There is. And so, you know, I wrote a letter to the editor um, that was published in the Register Guard this week about Kelly Mason and why her campaign is so strong. Um, I think that she is the most important new candidate to be elected this year in any of the jurisdictions. 
And so I hope that if folks are looking to volunteer or lean in to a campaign uh, that are listening to this podcast, that you'll get a hold of Kelly's team and do some postcards or make some phone calls or tell, you know, all your neighbors, text everybody in your phone who lives in Springfield to vote for Kelly, um, that she's great. Yeah. And her opponent is a Republican who ran against John Lively and was endorsed by like, you know, right to life and the gun people. So, you know, it's the pretty big conflict of values right there. Contrast, excuse yeah. me, not conflict. It's a contrast. Sure. Uh, in position three, Anthony Reed, I, I also wrote a letter to the editor in the weekly that talks about, um, you know, Emilio, um, who's running in position two, Kelly and Anthony Reed. Anthony's a union carpenter from local 271 um, that he is working really hard. Um, he may be working the hardest out yes. of any of the candidates. And so he is somebody who I didn't, I'd never met him before this, but he's really convinced me and won me over with his dedication and his, um, a lot, he has some really great ideas being a union carpenter about how the high schools can work with um, the unions to create like pre-apprenticeship programs. So that now we're talking about, you know, Kelly is an academic advisor at UO, Anthony is a carpenter. So now we're talking about those pathways to college and career. Um, which I think is really, really, um, that's really exciting in Springfield, that those are opens up some really cool opportunities. And yeah. in position three, where Anthony is running, uh, Jonathan Light, who is also a Democrat, is running. Jonathan served um, two or two and a half terms on the school board um, up until as recently as four years ago, um, that he's a good person, that if he, um, if he wins the race, he will also do a very good job. And so I don't want... Um, the DPLC endorsed Anthony Reed. Uh, Jonathan did not ask us for our endorsement, but it is likely we would have endorsed him as well. Um, and so I don't want to take away from Jonathan and his service and that his, um, you know, he's also a good candidate and that, you know, I maybe I, I could still vote for him. I don't know. I haven't made a final decision because this is in Springfield, so I will be voting. But, you know, I'll tell you, Anthony has really impressed me as somebody who I didn't know before this, but has just really um, you know, he's really put himself out there in a way that is very valuable to the community. I mean, we need to have union members running for office and winning seats on um, that. Yeah. That's very important. Yeah. When Anthony and I discussed, he reached out to me to ask if I would have him on the podcast and we, I didn't know him nice. and he was really smart in doing so because then we started talking and then I've been plugging it and he's been, he's been hounding me about, uh, doing different things and, and dropping uh, pamphlets on people's doorsteps and different and different things. He's working extremely hard. And I'm very impressed with Anthony. And I can tell you, I've lived in Springfield off and on about Eugene in Springfield since I was 11 years old. Anthony is, is almost as the most representative of Springfield of any candidate I've seen. I have to say that seriously, because, wow. which is a bold statement. I don't know how I can fully explain this, but you know, he grew up, he's a, he's a blue collar guy. And I think Springfield's a blue collar town and he is extremely motivated and he's awesome. So he even came and got a haircut, which is rad. So, so I, I actually see if it, no matter what happens with Anthony Reed's campaign, uh, him and I are going to uh, build a friendship. We've talked about making some music even. So I'm excited to see what he can do. And I don't think this is this, this is the, the end for him. He's going to, he's got a bright future in politics locally he's definitely somebody that i think people across the board too you know i think there's conservative voters in springfield that are going to really like him you know so and i don't want that to be a knock for the democrats you know i think there's reasons that it's not at all it's not at all it's, we need more of this you know we need more of these people that have that can hear people and then maybe have a difference in strategy i say that all the time but can hear people from different uh belief systems and actually kind of come to kind of some kind of common ground. I think it's really vital. So he's, he's great. Well, so. I mean, you're describing a bigger thing that maybe we don't want to get into here, but that there are, you know, a couple, and I've seen it kind of go back and forth over the time that I've been chair, but there are a couple of schools of thought around how do you grow our, if not our party, which like, how do we grow our party, but like, how also do we grow our coalition? Right. And that there is the ideological angle that like we have to be the most you know progressive whatever that means like surprise we're in Oregon everybody's progressive in Oregon compared to where I grew up in Ohio I mean you know not all the Republicans but a lot, a lot of Republicans are more progressive in Oregon than they are where I grew up in Ohio and so you know 
we can be more doctrinaire and you, you'll hear this under the like you need to hold your elected officials accountable and like that kind of talk um which you know most of the time the elected officials they're talking about are the kind of people you know who are operating at a level where they have to like make really hard choices and make really tough decisions about what is going to be best for a large group of people and so you know i don't I, I don't subscribe to that. Like I subscribe to the idea that we want to run on our issues and our values, but we want to do it in a way that invites people who don't agree with us to be a part of the solution. It's one of the things that I, um, I'm really, 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 really happy with Joe Biden. I'm much happier with him than I, like I wanted him to win. I voted for him in the primary. I wanted him to win the general election. I thought he was going to do a good job because he's competent. I did not expect to be so pleased with his performance at this level because he's not making a lot of mistakes and that he is encouraging dialogue with the Republicans. But at the same time, he's not accepting being put into a hostage negotiating standpoint. Like he's yeah. like, I will take your feedback if you want to seriously participate. We'll consider your ideas. But when we have the votes, we're going to do what we're going to do. And, you know, I think that it is possible that if the Republicans had participated in better faith, that that um, relief package, the America Rescue Plan, would have had more of their ideas in it. But they went in and tried to lowball him, and he didn't accept that. And now you see with the infrastructure, the American Jobs Plan, that their, their first offer is a little bit more serious than the last one was. And so I, I don't know... I, you know, I don't have any secret information about the president. I don't know if they're going to accept that, if they're going to split it into two bills. I don't know what they're going to do, but I feel very hopeful that, you know, Joe Biden is a savvy negotiator, unlike, you know, the previous president. Well, and the, uh, and the framing, the framing, I mean, like you just said, the American, the infrastructure bill that is be called, finally be talking about creating jobs, you know, and this is back to the Anthony Reid thing. This is where this parallels because He's talking about jobs in, in electrical work, in plumbing, jobs, you know what I mean? Like, and creating opportunity for people. So, so I, I'm completely in agreement with you on Joe Biden. I, I'm pleasantly impressed with what's been happening. And a side note, you mentioned Ohio. Even John Boehner is, is doing the rounds, talking about working yeah, together. Yeah. No, I know. It's funny. He's, he's doing the rounds. He's writing a book, so he's trying to make some money but he's talking about working together and listening to each other. And I, I mean, and it's easy for a former politician to do that. You know, John Boehner was the former speaker of the house and he got a bunch of shit from his own party for working with Obama on certain things, you know, going golfing with him. And they're like, what are you doing? And it's like, Oh my God, this is what we're supposed to do. You know? So anyway, we have so much to talk about. So I have to move on to the LCC board. The only one that I chose to talk about today was uh, director zone one, Holly Johnson, two parts, you know, what does the LCC board do and why is it so crucial that people look into this race? So the LCC board is the school board for the community college. So all of the things that the school board does, the LCC board does as well for the community college, which is one of the main economic, like in addition to being a place where people go to either, you know, get an associate's degree, to complete classes and then transfer to a four-year university, to do, um, you know, career and technical education, to do non-traditional student or returning to school education for adults. Um, in addition to all of those things, Lane Community College is a major economic driver in our community. And so that who is on the board there is very important. Um, you know, that we have uh, the LCC board at this time and is poised to get even better, but is the highest performing that it has been since I've been paying attention to politics in the last 10 years. Um, Matt Keating, who now is gonna be on the city council, um, Matt Keating has done great work on the LCC board um, and especially Lisa Fragala, um, who is a teacher um, that she serves on the board and that she is just uh, amazing, ama she's amazing person. She's an amazing human and that she has a bright future in politics, um, that she's probably my favorite person to call when I don't know what to do of like what, you know, she's just a person who I, I count on a lot and that I think that she is poised to do great things 
and that she's doing great things for the college right now. And so Holly Johnson is a really important part of that, that Holly was just appointed to the board and that she's running and that she was appointed because her predecessor, uh, Melanie Munzer, took a job in the Biden administration um, in the Department of Education. Um, and so, you know, so that that's good, like not a bad resignation. That's a good one. And so Holly is stepping in that she works at the Lane Education Service District, and she is a person who works on um, issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. And so that's, I think, really, really important um, in an educational setting, like a community college, that we don't have an all-white board. And so that she's going in there and making a difference. And that there are two candidates running against her. Both of them are Democrats. I have not heard from them. And so, um, I mean, they're probably okay. I, I, I don't know anything about them, but Holly is the real deal and that she is going to do a great job. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think that she's going to win, that she is not, you know, sitting back and that she's going out there and asking people for their vote. And so that's, you know, that's what you want to see in a first time candidate. You know, Mike Eister's running as well. Mike Eister's running unopposed and, and Mike Eister's great. You know, and so I know Kelly Mason has said in her race for school board that Mike Eister has been extremely helpful because he is running unopposed. And so he doesn't have to to campaign so hard, you know. And so, uh, you know, you know, with Holly Johnson in the DPLC meetings that we've had when we were voting on endorsements, it was it was really interesting. I'm, I was unaware of her. I did some research afterwards, but it was really interesting to kind of see people's faces light up when that topic of her her candidacy uh, she's like you said, she is sitting. She's an incumbent, but to be reelected because she wasn't appointed. So this will be the first time that she'll be elected by the voters if she wins. But people people's faces lit up. They're like, yes, like she's obviously impressed a lot of people in the community. So that's awesome. Has she been on the show yet? Not yet. And that is something that I'm going to I'm going to do. And when when we had our endorsement meeting, uh, I definitely Kelly Mason was one of the people I'd already kind of been talking to to do the episode because I had this plan to do the three episodes in one week or, you know, two or three uh, with candidates. And I just it wasn't on my radar yet. I'm not going to lie. You know, I've been focused so hyper focused on Springfield because I'm trying to digest all this stuff and, and learn more and more and more because I came at this, uh, you know, less a year ago, really. And I knew nothing. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm learning as we go and people get to watch me do that. So we have a lot of t to talk about. Uh, before we do, before we move on from the candidates, we're going to talk about the Springfield Police Department. And before we do, I just want to make sure people know the last day to register to vote in this uh, uh, special election is Tuesday. And so Tuesday, April 27th. So don't wait until Tuesday. You could do it today. You know, and if you haven't registered to vote, which I would imagine most people that vote in the general election, they're still registered, you know. So but if you haven't, where would you go to register to vote? Well, you would go, uh, if you can, between the hours of 12 and 4, you could head down to the DPLC office. One of the really exciting things I wanted to tell you about that's happened since the last time I got on the show is that DPLC has a new office and that we're open from 12 to 4 and our address is 115 West 8th Avenue. It's in the 8th and Olive Building uh, right next to the Eugene Symphony is where we're at. And so you go into the lobby and you walk back and it's on the left-hand side that we'll be registering people to vote between the hours of 12 and four. And then also if you are already registered, but you just need to update your address or your party affiliation, you can do that online. So if you just Google Oregon, my vote, M-Y-V-O-T-E, that you can update your stuff right there. And then uh, when do ballots get mailed out? So the ballots should be mailed out, I think at the end of next week. Okay. Wow. So Tuesday is the last day to register to vote. Make so sure. It's coming. Yeah. Make sure you jump on that. So changing gears completely. One of the things you wanted to talk about today and that is so important is what's happening with the Springfield police department. Uh, the chief Lewis is already on leave. You know, there's an investigation going on into what it looks like. He might have tried to cover up a reason for firing someone. And so maybe you can speak more on that. What broke yesterday in the news was, uh, Springfield police officer Robert Weaver is being accused of sending photos of a female nude photos of a female recruit to other officers. So this situation just continues to get more interesting. And, uh, you know, what is your take on what's going on with this? Um, what is my take on what is going on? Yeah. With this? Yeah. Uh, so this is egregious. Um, yeah. So I would go so far as to say that 
the actions of the Springfield Police Department are the single biggest threat to the growth and development in Springfield right now. Um, you know, I live in Springfield. I, I love, I am an elected official in Springfield. I love Springfield. I'm a, I'm a neighborhood leader here. I talk to my neighbors about voting. Like I, I love Springfield, man. Like I'm here because I love it. I chose to come here and that it hurts my heart um, to see the way that the police department has been acting. And that it's interesting that it's, you know, the chief is not on leave. He's suspended. Yeah. yeah. That he's suspended for cause because it appears that what he did was that he, um, <clears throat> he fraudulently completed a form when a person was fired that said that they were not under investigation when they were. And so he lied to the state of Oregon and that he lied to keep the scrutiny of the state of Oregon off of the Springfield police department. So that's like a good old boy lie, man. Like that's not acceptable. And so right now the last count that I have, and maybe you can think of some others, but that there are five outstanding lawsuits against the Springfield police at this time. There is the lawsuit around, um, there's a, there's a use of force lawsuit that's out there there that I, I don't remember all the details of it. There is a lawsuit around the actions of the police at um, the Black Unity March in Thurston last summer, um, and that the independent use of force consultant that the city council hired to look into that uh, provided a pretty damning report about the actions of the Springfield police, and especially the chief, who decided to be on scene himself and participate in the arrests, or depending on how you look at it, the beatdown of people. Um, black people in Springfield that the chief, like in the picture in the paper, when the cop is pulling Tyshawn Ford over the barricade and holding him down, the chief is looking at them in the picture. He's looking, his eyes are looking at them. Like that's insane. That's not acceptable. And so you have the police beating up black people in Thurston. You have a officer involved shooting at Gateway, which of all of the lawsuits, that is the one that is the least likely, I think, to succeed because the person was on um, the the person who was shot um, was under the influence of methamphetamine and attacked the police with a crowbar or a, or a tire iron. So like that one, I don't know if that fits in with these other ones as much. But then you have the situation with Scott McKee, who was trying to do the right thing and change the culture in the police department and that he had fraudulent accusations made against him by the police union and made it so hard for him to work there that he had to have a settlement agreement. And then when he went to pick up his property from the Springfield Police Department, that other police officers who are the only people, the only people who had access to where his property was, were other police officers wrote a racial slur on the back of a framed photo of Martin Luther King. You can't make that shit up. And wow. then finally, you have the situation where you have a, a female police recruit who had sex with a detective had sex with a sergeant, and then apparently she is the one who got fired, not the senior officers who yeah. abused their positions to have sex with this woman. And on top of that, this is like the cherry on the Sunday that they passed around a card that was possibly made on the Springfield Police Department computer and the Springfield Police Department printer that said the picture of those two guys and said that they were Eskimo brothers and they passed that around the office. Uh -oh. Like that is flagrant sexual harassment. That's illegal, man. Like yeah. at any workplace that I know of, if somebody did that at my work, they would be instantly fired. Yeah, that's so, not acceptable. So, and that, that that's the cops. That sounds like, like another lawsuit. House. That's another lawsuit waiting to happen. And you're talking about active lawsuits we could talk about the Stacey Kenny situation as well, you know, like a past lawsuit that that's a lot yeah. of money for a small community. Well, it's, I mean, not a lot of money for a small community. That is the largest, that is the largest settlement for uh, wrongful death at the hands of police in the history of Oregon outright. And so the police murdered Stacey Kenny, who was not under arrest, not detained, didn't actually break the law and that they murdered her. And, and unarmed, woman, unarmed, correct? Yeah, unarmed. But that's wrong. And so, you know, thank God um, that 
And I, I would encourage everybody watching to look in the register guard over the last couple of weeks. There's been some coverage of the police department. Um, there was at first there was the use of force review from Rick Brazil about the Thurston incident, and then the independent use of force consultant presented to the city council either earlier this week or last week about the murder of Stacy Kenny. And I mean. Right now, this is firmly in the map in the lap of the city manager, um, because ultimately the city council does not the, the, the city council is, is responsible to the voters. But the way that they're responsible to the voters in a council manager form of government is that they hire the city manager. And so this is right now um, firmly on Nancy Newton's desk and that there's a couple ways that she could handle this and that, you know, I will say that um, in the defense of Springfield, um, not the police department, but in defense of Springfield, um, it seems to me that Nancy really gets that this is a huge problem. And so that she is not trying to look the other way and minimize it, that she actually wants to take steps to fix it. Um, but like, you know, what does that mean is that, I mean, Rick Lewis, I think is obviously going to be fired. I don't, or resign or take a settlement or I, I don't like, I don't see how you can come back to work after you lied to the state of Oregon and everybody knows it. Um, I don't know if the district attorney would Brady list him like that. That's nuts that somebody could lie in a position of trust like that to just blatantly lie to the state and like that is easily verifiable that that's not true. Like that's not even slick. And so that what that shows me is that that is a person, you know, I, you know that I run a treatment program for folks who are involved in the criminal justice system. Like that is the thinking error of entitlement Yeah, that you think that you can do that because no one is going to catch you because you are beyond reproach. And like, there's like a narcissism in that that is just striking to me in a public servant, but be that as it may, <clears throat> they are going to have to probably hire a new police chief. And I, I would certainly hope that they would not consider any internal candidates that the culture in that department is rotten to the core and that they need to hire somebody who is skilled at cultural transformations inside of organizations um, and that is not going to accept the status quo. Um, so that is, I think, something that they can do. Um, I think that the city council is going in the right direction, looking at some of the policies and in conversations with the city councilors. I think that, you know, the chief, um, they, the counselors had asked the chief to prepare some information about how do the Springfield policies um, correspond with some of the standards in the, you know, eight can't wait and campaign zero um, that have been put out by national experts and national police reform advocates. Um, I know that there has been some uh, some talk about relooking at what were some of his answers um, that I, I don't think were accurate. Um, I, you know, I, 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 don't know if he lied or if he was just incorrect, but that some of the information that he presented to the city council is not accurate. And so we will see if they revisit that a little bit. And the, the other thing I will say about um, that situation is that unlike before, the mayor gets it and that he, Sean Van Gordon, unlike Christine Lumberg, knows that this is a problem and is not gonna cover it up. And so I have a lot of, you know, Sean is not a Democrat and that I have, he has earned my respect in the way that he handles problems in a way that is open to problem solving and not trying to prove that what he did in the past was right. And so that is uh, compared to the previous mayor, like that is a breath of fresh air. And so I, you know, I, I think that he is the right person in that position at this time in order to see through some of these changes that need to be made. Because, you know, the, while the mayor does not have like the formal authority to hire and fire people, the culture of Springfield city government is there is a deference to the mayor that doesn't, I mean, certainly doesn't exist in Eugene. Um, you know, nobody in Eugene can't throw Lucy under the bus fast enough. And so there is a deference to the mayor in Springfield. And so if the mayor has his eye on the ball, that will help the counselors, the city manager, and the you know the leadership team to keep their eye on the ball as well. Yeah, I'm impressed with with Mayor Sean Van Gordon as well. So yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how this whole thing plays out. Uh, what is happening with the officer involved in the Stacey Kenny uh, situation? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to look into that. 
I'm going to try to. So what happened was that they were, um, you know, the inner after the officer involved shooting, the interdepartmental deadly force investigation team investigated it, um, that they determined that um, the officer did not break the law when he fired the shots that killed Stacey Kenny. Um, That is a while that is probably true, um, that that's like. I guess folks, if folks don't know, you know, I served on the civilian review board in Eugene, which looks at um, it, the, the job of the civilian review board is to um, review investigations into allegations of police misconduct in public meetings. And so I served on that committee for five years and that we reviewed, I think, two deadly force officer involved shootings during that time. Um, one of them outside of Churchill High School, where they gave the guy a medal. Um, the officer received a medal for protecting the students from a dangerous situation. And then the other one was uh, when Captain Babb was shot um, while he was in a mental health crisis. And that was a much more challenging review, right? And so, you know, some of the laws around police, like when is it able to use deadly force? The standard is, was the officer in fear of their life at that moment? Not what led up to that moment, not what decisions were under the officer's control that led up to that, but in that moment, right? And so the officer who, you know, after Stacey Kenny had been tased and beaten through the driver's side window, trying to pull her out of the car, that once a Springfield police officer busted down the window on the passenger side of the car, climbed into their car. And now that Stacy started to drive away at that moment, that officer probably was in fear for his life. And so he didn't technically break the law. That law needs to change. Yeah. Um, that that is a relic of a different time. And so we need to have a much more holistic view of the situation. Um, but, you know, even if that law, even if it is not against the law and that that person will be prosecuted. Um, if there are not, if, if the departmental use of force policies allows that, that those are policies that needs to change because yeah. that, if you have such poor judgment that you break down somebody's window, climb in their car and then shoot them because they are afraid of you, you should not be a cop period. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to do my best. I've been talking to Barbara Kenny to have her on the podcast and she's agreed to do it. I just haven't jumped on it yet because I need to prepare for that. That's a very, very, you know, troubling. It's just, I, I, I can't, I it can't even begin to explain how heavy that story is. And so that is going to be an episode I'm going to have to take. I'm going to have to take a lot of, I'm going to have to do a lot of work on it mm-hmm. and make sure I do it right. You know, so that will happen. And so we'll, we'll learn more about that story. And, and as time passes, uh, it'll be interesting to see how the family has dealt with that grief, you know, and what the impact has, has been on that family. So I, I look forward to that. Uh, yeah. So very important races, what's going on in Springfield with the police department is going to be really interesting. Uh, there's, there's, there's some really exciting things happening and what the most exciting thing I see in local government right now is civic participation, the growth in civic participation. You know, there's so many more people getting involved. I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. And, and I mean, I learn so much new stuff and network with new people on the daily. And again, look at these candidates, Facebook pages, look up Laurel O'Rourke, Maya Rabasa, Tom DiLiberto, DiLiberto and Judy Newman. Uh, in that race, position three is going to be a really good one for the school board. Uh, and then definitely look up in the LCC race, look up Holly Johnson. You know, these are people that that you can learn a lot about. And I'm going to do my best to kind of uh, share on Facebook some of the, the different candidates and, and what they're about so that people can learn a little bit. Because like we said at the beginning of this, there is no voters pamphlet. So it's up to us, the voter, to kind of do our own research. So uh, Did we make it through a whole hour without talking about COVID-19, the legislative session, and the two massive development projects that we have in Springfield that are talking about starting right now? I said COVID once, but we didn't get into it deep. I know that I brought it up because of how important it is going to be with the school board races, that this is going to be a really huge decision on what it looks like in getting students back into school full time come fall, especially. I mean, we're I don't know where we're at with that. We're flirting with getting them back on on a two to day, two to three day a week basis and whatnot. I'm not exactly sure. Well, I but think yeah. that you hit the nail on the head about the most promising thing 
that I see is that increase in participation. And so, you know, obviously for the love of God, please vote, but also, you know, get involved in organizations that now that this, all the city council meetings and the school board and Willamette and everything is on zoom or Microsoft teams or go to meeting or WebEx or whatever, like you can participate from your own house. I love it. Um, yeah. Personally, even, even if you don't want to sit through a two hour zoom of people talking about stuff that is, um, you know, not what you want to listen to. If there's something that you care about, email your city councilor or the county commissioner, or, I mean, if you live in Springfield and it's about your park, email me that I, we want to hear from you. And that I think that the takeaway, one of the things, you know, that I hope that doesn't go back to the old way before COVID-19 is people not caring about what their local governments do. Um, because what, you know, there's a lot of taxpayer money that goes into these jurisdictions and that having citizens be involved and participating in that process, whether it's, you know, volunteering to be on the budget committee or, um, you know, attending events, going to the meetings, I'm, you know, reading the, reading the financial reports and keeping our feet to the fire. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is that at all levels, we have the government that we deserve um, that based yeah. on our own actions, not what we say is important to us, but what we actually, what is important to us as demonstrated by our actions, that we have the governments that we deserve. And it's one of the reasons why not to, you know, um, to, as a point of personal privilege, um, Willamette Lane is one of the best run organizations that I have ever seen. And the reason that it is so is because people care about it and that people come to our meetings when we do something that they didn't like, they give us a piece of their mind. And when we didn't do something that they want, they give us a piece of their mind and we go do it because that's what the public wants. And that as an organization from, you know, the board to the superintendent down to the people who check you in at the front desk, that there is a culture in that organization that we serve, not just the community as an abstract concept, but that we serve community members. That is why we are here. And yeah. for those reasons, Willamette Lane is a great organization. And so where I'm, I bring that up is to encourage everybody here to be a part of that wherever you live, in whatever your school district, your parks, your city, everywhere, the county, be a part of that because we're counting on you. Yeah. Um, it's, it, not it's not going to happen without you. It's not just a call to action. I can be the first to, to, to attest to this, that it's super rewarding. Once, once you start networking and learning more about all the different people involved, it's super rewarding to know that you're connected in your community and I'm loving it. So, so Chris Wig, chair of the democratic party of Lane County. I appreciate everything you do. Uh, you know, and thanks for coming on and talking to me today. Uh, everybody get out and vote, uh, registered last day to register to vote is Tuesday, April 27th. And, and then the election will be on May 18th. That's when ballots are due. So obviously I'll be mailing it out earlier than that. That's the beauty of our, in Oregon, we do the, the mail-in ballots. I think it's a great thing and we should do it across the country. So Chris Wig, yeah, Chris Wig, thanks a lot. You have a good day. Uh, I'm gonna end this with a song. I chose this. It's one of my songs. This is me, Patty Rose, with "Long Lost Day." Like a plan that's all gone bad, like a falling rain. I feel the strain of sympathy, like almost every day. I don't agree with. Don't agree with
play. 